don't know about you, but I get the impression heaven's going to be kind of exciting. And how many think we can get a little bit of excited about it even while we're down here on earth? Amen. What a blessing. How many of you are looking forward to that day when we see Jesus? Praise God. Grab your Bibles. We're in Nehemiah chapter number 10 as we continue our study on Restore. And we've been able to look at this character in Scripture named Nehemiah who was born into the Babylonian captivity and was now in this area of Persia where he was serving the king in his own palace. He was the cupbearer of the king, and he got news that the walls of Jerusalem were still, still tore down. They were burned with fire, and God gave him a burden to go back to Jerusalem and begin by seeing these walls rebuilt and restored. And now we see the work of restoring a people again back to God. And And while we look at this, I hope that you're able to kind of insert yourself into Scripture. That's really why we have the Word of God. The Bible tells us that these things are written for our admonition. We look back at these Old Testament characters of Scripture. We look back at the instances where God called them in faith to worship Him and to serve Him. And we learn from them because they're people just like we're people. And and they had... Doubts and fears and sin and difficulty, just like we have doubts and fears and sin and difficulty. And so as we look at these characters like Nehemiah, I want you to understand that what's going on here in Jerusalem, the restoration that's taking place, the walls being rebuilt, people repenting of their sin and turning to God, this is not easy stuff. This takes a miracle of God. I mean, think about it. If you're Nehemiah, you've you've probably never, ever seen Jerusalem before. You've never seen the walls. You were born into the Babylonian captivity. You knew of your heritage. You knew of your people, but you were pretty comfortable there in the king's palace. You had been appointed to position. You had privilege. You were well taken care of. You had a history that you could hearken back to, but weren't necessarily in the middle of. And and to, to leave that place of comfort to a place that you did not know about in faith is not an easy move to make. It takes a miracle of God for these walls to be built. That was not easy. It took a miracle of God for people to repent and get serious about their relationship with the Lord. That's not easy. That's a miracle of God. But how many of you are glad this morning that God can still perform miracles? God can still work in the hearts and the lives of people to save them and to restore them and to bring them back to him. That's the wonderful story of Scripture. And so we are in Nehemiah chapter number 10. Last week, we were able to look at a radical, a radical repentance. We saw where the people of God humbled themselves and they put on sackcloth and earth on themselves, showing their humility and brokenness before God. We saw how they worshiped God in honesty and in truth and said, God, you've taken care of us. You've supplied our need. You've led us through the wilderness. You've brought us to a place of our own again. And yet we, at every turn, have rejected you and discounted you and left you and served false gods. So there was an honesty and humility that they were bringing to bear in their repentance. It was radical repentance. It wasn't just earthly sorrow. It wasn't just worldly woe. It was a heart of repentance toward God. But today we're going to look at a practical repentance. Because however we might be led to feel in our heart, it doesn't really mean a whole lot if it doesn't carry over into our actions. 
So these people aren't just going to say, I'm sorry. They're going to see their lives radically transformed. And we left off last week where they were so serious about their repentance that they would begin to ratify it. They begin to mark down the areas that they needed to change. They begin to, to illustrate the areas that they needed to correct. And the leaders of their homes and their communities and their neighborhoods and their tribes were now coming together to put their name on a piece of paper and say, we are committing to follow the word of God. We are committing to live in the will of God. I mean, this was radical. I mean, think about what it would be like if that happened in our cities where the men in the homes were flooding out uh, of their houses and they were entering into the streets as one man and they're saying, we want the word of God and we see how we've been living against you, God, and we see where we need to make things right. Let's bring out the documents and let's all put our name on it. We pick up in that place here in Nehemiah chapter number 10 and verse number one. So if you found your place there and you're physically able to stand, let's stand together out of respect for the reading of God's word. Now, we're going to read this chapter in its entirety. You say, Pastor, you've been reading some long chapters of scripture in church. Will you keep coming back? <laughs> so we're going to keep reading, okay? We're going to begin here in verse number one. Now, those that sealed, that's the ratification of this covenant that they're making with God. We're going to follow your word. We're going to be your people. We're going to worship you. And you alone. They sealed. And here are their names. Nehemiah, the Tershatha, the son of Hakaliah, and Zidkajah, and Zeriah, and Azariah, and Jeremiah, and Peshur, and Amariah, and Melchijah, and Hattush, and Shebaniah, and Malak. I want you to know, I bought a Bible. It has all the hash marks of the names and stuff. I figured if I'm going to keep reading these, I want to try to do it right, okay? Notice as we pick up verse number five or, or six, Daniel, Ginnathon, Baruch, Meshulam, Abijai, uh, Mejimin, uh, Maaziah, Bilgaiah, Shemaiah. These were the priests and the Levites, both Jeshua, the son of Azaniah, Beninu, of the son of Hinnadad, Kidmiel, and their brethren, Shebaniah, Hodijah, Kalida, Peliah, Hanan, Micah, Rahab, Hashabah, Zakur, Sherbiah, Shebaniah, Hodijah, Bani, Beninu, Perosh, Pehath Moab, Elam, Zatfu, Bani, Buni, Asgad, Babai, Adonijah, Bigvay, Adin, Adder, Hizkaijah, Azur, Hodijah, Hashem, Bezai, Harith, Ananoth, Nebai, Magpiash, Meshulam, Hezer, Meshizibel, Zadok, Jadua, Peltiah, Panan, Ananiah, Hoshea, Hananiah, Hashab, Halohesh, Peliah, Shobek, Rehum, Hashpana, Maasia, and Ahijah, Hanan, Anan, Maluk, Aram, and Bana. And the rest of the people, the, I'm glad they just said rest of the people. Uh, <laughs> the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nephinims, and 
all they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands under the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, every one having knowledge and having understanding, they clave to their brethren, and their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his judgments and his statutes, and that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. And if the people of the land bring ware or any victuals on the Sabbath day to sell, that we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath or on the holy day, and that we would leave the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Also, we made ordinance for us to charge ourselves yearly with the third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread and for the continual meat offering and the continual burnt offering of the Sabbaths, of the new moons, of the set feasts, and for the holy things and for the sin offerings to make an atonement for Israel and for all work of the house of our God. And we cast the lots among the priests, the Levites, the people for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God after the houses of our fathers at times appointed year by year to burn upon the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law and to bring the first fruits of our ground, the first fruits of all the fruit of the trees year by year unto the house of the Lord. Also the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle as it is written in the law and the firstlings of our herds and of our flocks to bring to the house of our God under the priests that minister into the house of our God and that we should bring the first fruits of our dough and our offerings and the first and the fruit of all manner of trees of wine of oil under the priests to the chambers of the house of our God and the tithes of our ground unto the Levites that the same Levites might have the tithes in all the cities of our tillage. And the priests, the sons of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites take tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes unto the house of our God, to the chambers into the treasure house. For the children of Israel, the children of Levi, shall bring the offering of the corn, of the new wine, the oil, unto the chambers where are the vessels of the sanctuary, and the priests that minister, and the porters, and the singers. And we will not forsake the house of our God. And what a turnaround in these people's lives. The people who are distant and disconnected from everything that had to do with their God. Now, really entering into a covenant with God, with their own lives and their own possessions and their own children and their own families. And truly connecting in a practical way, a way that's practiced out in their life. That we mean business and we're going to follow our God. I believe we can see that in our homes, in our communities, in our churches, in our land today, if we would really exercise practical repentance. So let's learn about it this morning, and let's ask God to help us with this. Heavenly Father, God, we're thankful for your word and all that it teaches us. We're thankful that it's a mirror and shows us who we really are in light of Scripture, because our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And many times we can fall into situations where we don't see clearly where we are apart from you. So Lord, help us to learn this morning what it means to not just have a radical repentance, but also a practical repentance, a a, a repentance that is fleshed out through the, the promises and behaviors of our lives as we follow you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
Well, as we begin to look at this practical application of repentance in our life this morning, I want us to see in our passage how these people didn't just feel toward repentance in God, but I want us to see the action that they took practically to engage in repentance with God. And I want us to see, first of all, how they put their name down on it. That's my first point this morning. If we're going to engage in practical repentance, put your name down. How many of you ever signed documents before? You bought a house, you bought a car. And man, I don't know, when you buy a house or maybe even when you enter into a lease agreement on a home, can you believe the number of papers you have to sign? It is unbelievable. I mean, you go into the office and it shakes the whole table as this, you know, stack, this thick gets dropped in front of you. And you're signing for this thing and you're signing for that thing. And how many of you are like me? When you go to sign those things, you're just a little bit nervous about what in the world am I signing here? Why? Because it means something. You're putting your name down in agreement in accord with whatever's there in that paperwork. And I got to be honest with you, I've bought some homes in my lifetime and I've not read through all that paperwork. I don't really know what I'm bound to sometimes. I mean, I don't know if one of the papers says for two weeks, you've got to stand on one leg, rub your tummy and bounce up and down. I don't know. But I put my name on it. And, and, and yet this sign for these people in concert together with their seriousness about repenting of their sin and coming to God, they wanted to put down what their repentance was on paper and they wanted to come out as leadership, as leaders of their homes, as leaders of their tribes, as leaders of their communities, and they wanted to sign their name on the fact that I am in concert with the word of God. I am in concert with the person of God. I am in concert with the spirit of God. I want him to move in my life. I want him to move in my children's lives. I want him to move in our nation. I want to be restored again. I want to have relationship with God again. And they marked their name down. And yet today we have people who want to have an open door. We have people who want to be inconspicuous as Christians. We have people who want to be sort of secret agent and they're one thing when they're with this group and they're another thing when they're with this group and their life isn't the same at church as it is at home and they don't have it written down. They don't have it declared, this is who I am. They don't have it declared, I've been bought with the price, therefore I will glorify God in my body and in my spirit, which are God's. And I'm just saying, I don't think we have a paper that we write down on. I don't think that you necessarily have to make a physical note about it, but I hope you have written down in your heart that God has washed you from your sins, that you've been made a new creature. I hope you have written down in your heart that you want to obey your great and glorious and magnificent God that we sang about this morning. I hope you have written down in your heart that you want to lead your family in the ways of truth. You want to bring up your children in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. I hope you have it written down that you want to give and that you want to serve and that you want to follow your great God. And that's what these leaders were doing here in this city of Jerusalem. They were putting their name down. Dads, do your children know who you are and what you believe? Moms, do your children know who you are and what you believe? Do your coworkers know who you are and what you believe? Do your neighbors know who you are and what you believe? Does your church know who you are and what you believe? Put your name down. Seal it. When we get saved, we enter into relationship with God and 
And it's typified in the relationship with a husband and a wife. And a husband and a wife, when they come together in relationship, they covenant with each other. They, they vow vows to each other in relationship. And as we come together with God, he vows that he will take our sin away, that he will fill us with his spirit, that he will wash us clean. And as we get saved, we vow, I will live for you. I will serve you. I will, I will be yours and you will be mine. And by the way, if you're saved, how many of you are glad that you are the Lord Jesus Christ? You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. All these names that were so difficult to read are names of people that were put down. We will follow our God. What do you stand for? What do you believe in? What are your goals and aspirations spiritually? Have you conveyed them? Do you talk about them? Fathers, this is so important in your home. If you want to develop a Christian culture in your home, if you want to develop a family that is desirous to follow God as you need to speak of him, you need to speak about his work in your life, you need to speak about how he's leading you and, and, and the home, you need to speak about how, how your family needs to follow him. You need to communicate that. These leaders were communicating this with their city. We will follow God. Put your name down. As we continue to look at this practical repentance, we see that we put our name down. We also see that we need to build godly relationships. Part of practical repentance is that we need to build godly relationships. We spoke about this in chapter number 9. As, as they were entering into radical repentance, as their mind and heart were being changed by the word of God, as they were admitting their sin and they were confessing God's greatness, as they were putting on sackcloth and ashes and fasting and, and as they were experiencing this radical repentance, we saw where they said that we will separate ourselves from the strangers. We will separate ourselves from the ungodly. We will separate ourselves from the influences that have shown us to take our heart away from God and put it towards these idols. And notice how they commit to that here in chapter number 10. Notice with me verse number 28. And the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nephinims, and all they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands, the strangers, the unbelievers, the heathens, the pagans, unto the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding. Now this is being taught. Now this was being the culture of the home. Hey, we live in the world, but we're not of the world. Hey, we might interact with people who are in the world. Of course, we love them. We want them to know Jesus. They want, we want them to see God in us. But our marriages, our close relationships, our close friendships, our close kinships are not going to be sought after in the world, with the pagans, with the heathens, and they begin to get knowledge and understanding about how God had called them out of idolatry with Abraham, how they called to their own land, how they were called as the people of God, and how they were not to intermarry and have close relationships with those who are heathen and with those that are pagan. And this became a cultural thing in their home again. And by the way, it needs to become a cultural thing in the homes of believers again, that we do not encourage our children and our grandchildren to enter into unequal relationships or, or yoking together with unbelievers, whether it's close friendships or marriages. Listen, we need to be separated 
from the world and we need to be separated to God. This is something that needs to be taught in churches and in homes again today. Notice how they continued to follow God's law in this. Notice verse number 29. They clave to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his judgments and his statutes, and that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. Now, this was a common practice back among the ancient peoples and continues even into some cultures today where marriages were a tool that was used in order to make strategic alliances financially or with power. And so we find that the people of God were entering into giving their daughters to the heathen sons and taking their daughters for their own sons in order to be able to gain advantage either in power or in negotiation ability or in business. Why? Because God was no longer blessing them. Because they were in captivity. Because God was not enriching them any longer because they had removed themselves from God. So now they were left to their own devices and they were trying to make it. And in making it, they were entering into these alliances with these ungodly people, giving their daughters to be married to their sons and taking their daughters to be married to their sons. They said, we're not going to do this anymore. It's brought idolatry into our culture. It's caused a rift between us and God. We are in great tribulation and distress. We are in great captivity because we have left the law of God concerning this. And let me just share with you, I believe this wholeheartedly. If you are a believer, your closest relationships, your closest influences should be the people of God. You say, well, pastor, how do I, how do I monitor that? Well, you need to watch what influences you bring into your living room via the media, via the entertainment that you choose. Listen, I'm not some fuddy-duddy. I have a TV. I don't know. You can decide if that's wise or not, but I've got a TV. We watch shows. We've been watching some of the Olympics. We've been, you know, watch some of the news sometimes. But there is a filter in God's word. And, and the Bible says, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. How many of you know that's a pretty strict filter? It's not a lot from the world that's getting past that thing. Why? Because you, you really need to guard the influences that you allow in your mind, in your heart, in your home. They shape how you live. They shape how you think. They shape how you behave. You need to be careful about what strong relationships you build. You know, you need to marry. If you're, if you're a Christian, you need to marry a believer. You need to date a believer. And not just a believer. You need to uh, date someone who has a strong relationship with the Lord. You need to marry somebody who has a strong relationship with the Lord. Because I've seen where it's very difficult when people come together and they're not equally yoked together. How do you raise the children? How do you make sure that they're taught the things of God? How do you bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord if the parents are not in agreement? How do you structure your home to follow the laws of God and the commandments of God in your home? 
if there's not agreement. The Bible says, how can two walk together except they be agreed, let alone be married together except they be agreed? And I've seen the heartache that that causes in a family that has an unequal yoke in it. Now, as I've spoken in other churches or in conferences or in chapels at schools or in youth groups, undoubtedly when I preach that, there are people who come up to me and they say, well, I know this person or I have this friend or I have this family member and they married an unsaved person and because they got married, that person got saved. To which I say, praise God. By the way, how many of you are glad when anybody gets saved? Praise the Lord. I mean, I'm glad about that. I'm thrilled about that. But they didn't get saved because that person married them. They got saved because of the grace of God. And how many of you are glad that God's grace is greater than our sin? I mean, I've done dumb stuff before. Just ask my wife. And yet God's grace has been bountiful in my life. But what I am saying is that's not God's plan. That's not God's will. That's not God's calling is for a believer to have a close relationship with an unbeliever in such a way where that person is being influenced in their life by that unbeliever. We're to be in the world, but we're not to be of the world. Build godly relationships. That's to me why my church family is so important. The people I worship with, the people I do life with, the people I let speak into my life and the people I allow to mold my children. I love having my children in this church where I can point at this family and this relationship and this person and say, that's how you serve God. That's how you follow God. That's how you live for God. It's important to have that. Build godly relationships. The nation of Israel had gotten away from that and it had led to catastrophe, idol worship, captivity, And now, some 141 odd years later, when the word of God is once again being read and they're recognizing their sin in this, they're saying, we are committing and we're marking our name down. We are not going to build close relationships with unbelievers. Notice this verse of scripture in James 4 and verse number 4. The Bible says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Now, in this context, it's not speaking of physical adultery. It's speaking of spiritual adultery. In fact, the term spiritual adultery is used many times in the Old Testament, and it describes Israel turning their back on God and taking to themselves idols or false gods. That's known as spiritual adultery. And it says, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. That word enmity means that you're going against, that you are in opposition to. If we are making our friendship with the world, then we are in opposition to God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. This is why we separate ourselves from the philosophy and the culture and the leading in the world. And why do we do that? Because upon man's sin, this world was given over to the prince and principalities of the air, the prince of the, the, the air that exists in the world today. Satan himself has been given rulership over this world. Why? Because of the curse of sin and the corruptness of sin. But how many of you are glad the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will one day come again and he will dispossess the possessor and he will rule and reign? I'm speaking of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will rule and reign one day. But for now, this world is corrupt. By the way, how many of you know it's not that difficult to see the corruption that's in the world today? It's palpable. It's right there in your face. 
We're not to be friends with the world. I want us to see this as well as we look at a practical repentance. We see that these people begin to prioritize godly worship again. They begin to prioritize godly worship. Now, we read here, we don't have time to look at it again in Scripture this morning, but we read we're on the Sabbath day. They weren't worshiping the way that they were told to worship in the law of Moses. Instead, they were making deals with the heathen nations. They were allowing them to come in with their victuals and their goods, and they were buying, and they were selling, and they were trading on the Sabbath day. That was a no-no. That was reserved as a day of rest. That was a reserved as a day of worship to God, of remembrance for his creation, for his sovereignty, for his work in his people's lives for his redemption. That's what this Sabbath was for. And instead of prioritizing it, they were entering into business deals. And it cost them in their relationship with God. And they were committing, once again, as a people to prioritize worship. Listen, we, we allow a lot of things in this world to distract our worship. And I know we can worship anywhere, I mean, how many of you heard it before? I worship on the river. It's, it's kind of fun, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I worship on the golf course. How many of you ever heard that before? How many of you know everywhere we go, we should be worshiping God? In all that we do, do all to the honor and glory of God. I get that. But, but God has also called us together to worship him and serve him collectively as the body of Christ. And as we come together to worship him, we express together our commitment to him to say you've redeemed us and we are your servants we are your people we praise you we honor you we serve you send us use us wherever you want us to be we will go that's that's what worship is worship is that's why in worship in the old testament there's always this sacrifice of course it was pointing to the lord jesus christ but it was also pointing to our own death to our flesh and our risen life in christ Something has to die. Our flesh has to die. There's a sacrifice involved in worship. And so we need to give of our time and our talent and our treasure. And they were re-engaging in that again as the people of God. They needed to prioritize worship. So, you know, they were kind of like Chick-fil-A now. The drive-thru wasn't open on Sunday anymore, right? How many have been like that? You left church, forgot that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday, got in the drive-thru and been like, yeah. Those Christians, man. Well, this is kind of the attitude that they had toward their worship of God. Everything else is more important than God is. Our business deals are more important than God. And whenever that happens in our life, there's a severe disconnect in our relationship. You ought to want to come to church. You ought to be cheer-led to come to church. I wonder, you know, what's going to be spoken about today. I wonder if there's going to be a guest. I wonder what the music's going to be. I wonder what the donut flavor's going to be. I wonder if they're going to have the air up high enough. I wonder if they're going to have the heat up high enough. I wonder if that, they fixed that spot on the rug yet. I, there's all these things that we filter our life through. And then, and then our schedules. Man, I, I just don't know. It, it seems like it's real easy to put a bunch of things before God and his priority. And that's just a heart problem. And so they're entering into this practical repentance of we're getting back to prioritizing the worship of God again. Lastly, this morning, we'll be done. We see that they begin to practice generous giving again. They begin to practice generous giving. What does this practical repentance look like? Well, this practical repentance looked like they put their name down. Hey, we're covenanting it. We're serious about this. We're leading our homes, families, communities, churches. We're leading them 
to follow the word of God again. Not our own whims, not what we make up, not what feels good to us, not what's right in our own eyes. We're doing what God says. We're putting our name down on it. We're leading in that direction. And then as we do that, we're separating from the heathens. Our kids are going to marry Christians and our closest relationships are going to be people of God and we're not going to let idols and influences and difficulty into our homes and into our culture and into the way that we live our lives. We're not going to be in captivity anymore. God wants to free us and we want to go back to God and this is how we're setting up our homes and our lives and and we're going to be separate people to God, not encumbered with the sin and the decadence of the world. We're going to prioritize worship again. We're not going to be doing deals on the Sabbath day. We're going to be in the place of God, worshiping the person of God. We're going to practice generous giving again. You'll remember when Nehemiah first got to Jerusalem that even the nobles, a lot of the people that first put their names maybe even on this list, were exercising usury upon the people of God. They didn't have a generous spirit. They were extorting money from people who were poor. They were forcing them to sell their lands to get their kids out of slavery. They were using and abusing people. And by the way, a lot of the reasons why usury and abuse in the church happens is because that church has gotten away from God. Because that leadership has gotten away from God. Because it's no more about God. It's about the whims and fancies of people. And and, and it, it begins to hamper and close off the generosity We find, and we don't have time to read it this morning, but we find where they begin to give and to tithe. And there were different tithes that they entered into. Tithes of their land. Tithes of their crops and their harvest. They gave gifts specifically to the sacrifices and the ability to worship God. They gave tithes of their currency, their money, to the house of God. They gave generously. And now instead of being a people that are extorting one another, there are people that are providing for one another. And how many of you know it's easy in a church to have a consumer mentality? There's so many churches and we can shop all the things that we like about them and we can do this and that. And before you know it, we become people who are taking instead of people who are giving. Where we see a need, we don't take the lead. We just find something else to fill the need in our life. And so our generosity begins to run dry. And that's a sign that we're disengaged spiritually. So we find that they begin to practice generous giving. Now, the nice thing I like about this, and we could go to seed on the tithe and how much you're supposed to give and what that means, and that's not really what I feel led to do in this particular message. But what I do want to focus on in this particular message is their heart toward giving. In this, they gave of their best. The Bible says they gave of the first fruits. You know, they weren't, they weren't giving God their loose change. They were now, because they realized what they were without the blessing of God, they were now appreciating the blessing of God in their life. They're seeing their walls are rebuilt. They're seeing their homes are being rebuilt. They're seeing their families are being rebuilt. They're seeing their cultures being rebuilt. And they're seeing the blessing of God coming upon them as a people again. And as a result, they change their view on what they have. And they say, in light of God's great blessing, I want to give him of the best that he's given me. 
And you'll find that it says they gave of the first fruit of their cattle. They gave of the first fruit of their crops. They gave of the first fruit of their children to the service of God. They gave of the first fruit of everything that they gave, they gave the best. So that's not, that's not right now. Let's not get into splitting hairs over what a tithe is. Let's not get into splitting hairs over how much money each person should give. Let's talk about this. Are you giving your best? Because I find this in my life, if I'm giving my best, I don't have to worry about, you know, putting it down to the cent what my tithe is. I find that out of an overflow of God's generosity to me, I desire to be very generous to him. I don't have to worry so much about the exacting. I'm worried about the heart. And are you giving God your best of your time, of your talent, of your treasure? When you come to serve him, are you giving him the best of what you have? When you go to uh, perform your, your calling, are you giving him the best of what you have? Or is he getting your loose change? These are all indicators about where we are at in our closeness and walk with the Lord. We see radical repentance being fleshed out in practical repentance. They put their name down. We are going to separate from the heathen. We are going to worship as a priority. We are going to give to the work of God generously. Practical repentance. God isn't interested in us talking a big game. He's interested in our obedience to him. Jesus said many times in scripture to his own disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments. Do you love God this morning? Do you know God this morning? Are you serving him this morning? Have you entered into radical, practical repentance in your life with God?